Hi everyone, welcome to Fluency, a podcast dedicated to exploring the intersection of yoga and psychology, a place to consider all aspects of our humanness and tools to bring home to our own inner lives. I'm Livia Cohen Shapiro. I'm a mama, a wife, a yoga teacher, a somatic therapist, and I'm the founder of Applied Psychology for Yogis and the School for Ecstatic Unfoldment. Welcome, I'm so glad you're here. And as I've mentioned before, this is my first endeavor into a podcast. And over the next six weeks or so in this first season of Fluency, I'll be bringing you some excerpts and interviews that very much align with and reflect the teachings and experiences of my upcoming course, Emotional Literacy for Yogis. And Emotional Literacy for Yogis is a nine-month course that blends academic rigor, deep personal inquiry, and specific techniques to bring yoga and somatic psychology into a more seamless integration for yoga practitioners and teachers. It's designed for yoga practitioners and teachers alike from any style and length of practice and really all you need is a body, a computer, and a longing. So enjoy. Hi everyone, Olivia here with Applied Psychology for Yogis. Uh, I'll bring to you a concept that came up um, with some other mentees, uh, maybe later last, later on last week, uh, and uh, and so I thought it'd be a, a nice concept to present and, and review with you all here, and that is um, this concept of what we call an introject. What is that, and and what does that mean for us as yogis and um, practitioners and teachers. So an introject is, um, I like to say that it's actually a developmental process um, or a developmental, maybe a developmental task um, that uh, we at first need, and then we start to kind of outgrow it and we test its limits and boundaries. And then we start to reinvent the the schemas that it has helped us to form. So it ties in a lot to our developmental process and also to our process of individuation um, and adulting and growing up and um, becoming who we are. And what's fascinating about the concept of an introject is that we will, even though we might, let's say we started yoga at like in our 20s or something, we might do a similar process around introjects um, that in our like, in our life of, of our age, we might be further along in that process. And then we redo that pattern again in sort of the age of our practitioner path. So we start to kind of see this as a developmental process in our learning of, of yoga and all different kinds of, of paths and teachings. So, and we also see this concept of the introject, um, where you see it in a diff- variety of different kinds of um, psychotherapeutic modalities. It's talked about a lot in gestalt therapy. We also see it as counted um, often as one of the ego defenses, like a la Freud. Um, and an introject can be a defense if it's not a developmental task. And the way I like to teach all of the Freudian ego defenses, and there are many, <laughs> many, many, 
some of you, you know, know what they are. Like some of, some of you might know what, what some of them are like projection and, um, uh, reaction formation and many, many others. But the way I like to frame how the ego defenses work is that they're actually, they're defenses when they've no, when they're no longer developmentally appropriate. A lot of the ego, what we call ego defenses are, um, they're defenses because they're no longer developmentally appropriate for the stage and age of hopefully a healthy ego formation and function. So we see introject in that world as a defense mechanism, but you have to remember that, that at a certain point in time, it's actually developmentally appropriate to have those introjects. And then we start to outgrow them. We want to be able to outgrow them and ask questions about them. It's an important part of the process of differentiation and individuation. Um, and in Gestalt therapy, it's a lot about um, how we build schemas and, and, and look at parts and like the, the difference between a part and a whole. So, um, okay, so with the introject, it's this idea that we are taking in information about our world, whatever that world might be, we're taking it in from the adults around us whole. It's like we're swallowing information whole about the world, about what's right or wrong, about the do's and don'ts. We're taking all of that information in, like we're swallowing it all in or absorbing it, absorbing it all like a sponge. And it is how we create a, a schema for or mental framework for how the world works, what we're supposed to be or not be, what the do's and don'ts are, what the right or wrongs are. So an intro, introject is like, our family does this. Here's a really benign, like simple, kind of almost funny one is like, um, our family is a mustard family. Like we like, we like mustard, we put mustard on everything. Whereas like another family might be a ketchup family, they use ketchup on everything. Or like another family might be a mayonnaise family, they use mayonnaise on everything. And so right now, my daughter Olive, she grows up in a mustard family. We always have a jar of mustard out on the table as the condiment of choice for the meal, right? Well, sooner or later, when she's older, she's going to go to, you know, her friend Susie's house. And she's going to end up having dinner at Susie's house. And you know what they're going to put out? They're going to put out ketchup. And she's going to be like, where's the mustard? And she's going to learn in that instant, not all families are mustard families. That there is another condiment that might be of use at a meal. So when we're little, we learn about the world whole from our parents. Many of these are like obviously important skills, like don't walk out into the street. <laughs> um, look both ways before you cross the street, that kind of thing. Wait, you know, hold mommy's hand when you cross the street or... Um, you know, in this family, it's a lot of like, in this family, we do this. You should be able to da 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 We do da 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 The world is like this. This is right, this is wrong. Now, when we're young, interjects are so important. We are looking up to our parents and caregivers. Show me how the world works. Tell me about it. And also, 
this the process of trial and error. Like last week, we talked about zone of proximal development, and how we use trial and error, and the help of a more mature other um, for guidance in that learning. So interject is in that same sort of arena of like looking towards the adult for guidance, for information on how to be. Here's another example of how interjects get built. Walking down the street with a toddler or young child and they trip and they fall. And you know that they, um, oftentimes they'll look up and you can tell, they're like looking up for like, how am I supposed to be reacting to the fact that I fell down and skinned my knee? And you, you feel that, and you see that, you feel and see that split second where they're either gonna like get up, rush it off and be fine, or they're gonna go like, ah, and start screaming and be really upset, right? And in that space, we have a choice. We can either say, oh, are you okay? See, you fell, or, oh, you're fine. Come on, let's go. A lot of time, or, oh no, that, oh, big boo-boo, you know? And so a lot of times um, the young child is looking to us for information on, wow, I fell down, I'm feeling a lot of sensations, this thing kind of, this happened, what do I do, how am I supposed to feel? And then this gets into a lot of even like the gender politics of how we raise our kids, like oftentimes with um, little girls, we'll be like, oh, are you okay? And with little boys, oh, you're fine, let's keep going. Or, oh, it's no big deal. And we could go on on that tangent of the rights and wrongs of that or whatever. But for today, I want you to start to understand that that is precisely how an interject works. Like, we fall down, we skin our knee, we look to our parent or caregiver, and how they react is what we start to learn is the appropriate way to act. So, like, I fall down, I get hurt, it's okay, I get back up and keep going. Or I fall down, the appropriate reaction is to check everything out, to feel ouchy, the boo-boo, and um, cling to mommy, or, or then move on, or whatever the schema is that's getting developed. So then this starts to translate later on into life, and we, we have to then, let's say we then fall down, it's like, are we going to react and it's like a big deal that we got a boo-boo or is it like no big deal and we start like even to the extreme of like we ignore it that it we make it not a big deal even when it is sort of thing so um another interject example might be um being a member of the clean plate club you have to clean your plate before you're gonna get, you're gonna eat all the food on your plate before you get excused from dinner. And that's good if you have a little bit of a finicky eater or you know that you need your child needs to eat more food, but if it doesn't get, if the boundary of it doesn't get pushed upon, sometimes we get into situations where the person feels compelled to eat more than maybe intuitively um, feels right for them when they're older. So when we're older, interjects, what's so cool about them is that part of what we're doing when we are coming into our own as adolescents, and even, I mean, you see, I think, inklings of this in toddlerhood when they're exploring the yes and the no of like, no, I can pick out my own clothes. This, not that. That's the, the testing of even very early interjects. And in adolescence, we see that like, whoa, tenfold. 
um, and in through the sort of the mid 20s where we're testing a lot of these boundaries. A lot of times when we get into relationships um, and when we get married, one of the things that starts to come up a lot, and this was very true and, and is true in my relationship is and marriage, is that we're actually testing both cultural and let me just say, we can have cultural interjects, familial interjects, uh, psycho-spiritual interjects. Um, so it can come from a variety of places because we can get these messages like directly from mom or directly from dad or directly from grandma. Or we can get a message more culturally um, or we can get a, a message from, a, from a, a spiritual community or religion about what things are or aren't. And this individuation process that becomes very important in our adolescence, we're really testing the limits of that and the boundaries of that and the meaning of that. And we need to be able to do that, to understand who we are without just these expectations and notions of the outer world. What is right for me? And a lot of, a lo a lot of folks, I know so many folks, myself included, who've gotten into their marriages and they start coming up against all or not against, but they start coming up, you know, feeling that rub of the culture interjects of what marriage is. I know so many women, myself included, were like, really, that's what a wife is? Really? That, I don't know if that works for me. So that's been a really interesting process in my relationship and marriage. And now also being a mom, I'm like, I don't know if that one, if that, this message that I somehow got, whether it was mom or family or culture or the community that I live in, that doesn't, that's not right for me. And, and this process of being able to say, okay, here's me, here's who I am. And that's, it's a deeply important process of being able to parse out whose voice that is. So I like to always, when we, when we learn about introjects in psychosocial emotional literacy for yogis, we work a lot and in the shadow courses too, the dirty little secrets class. The way I like to explain how an introject, you'll know it's a foot, like you know the introject is kind of running the show, is you start shooting all over yourself. If you start shooting all over yourself, I would wager that there's an introject at play, whether it's personal, interpersonal, um, uh, cultural, religious, there's, there's something else at play. And a lot of it's like, sounds like I should be able to blank. You should be able to blank. Why can't you da, 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 da. Um, I'm this, it's this, like there's this level of almost like certainty behind it with a shooting. And then that's what makes my light bulbs go up. I'm like, really? Whose voice is that? And that's exactly the mantra that I use to come into contact with and start questioning the interject is I'll say, and this is like in my head, I'm like, who's saying that? Who's saying that? I'll, I'll ask myself things like, who, and my clients, my mentees, who's saying that? Whose voice is that? Does that sound like anybody you know? Does that voice sound like someone you know? When was the, here's another one. When was the first time you heard that? Another one, how old do you feel? How, how big or small do you feel inside yourself listening to that, that message from you to you? 
And a lot of times it can be pretty immediate. It's like, oh, that sounds like my mom, or that sounds like the, the, uh, the rabbi from my synagogue, or that sounds like my fifth grade teacher. That sounds like so-and-so. And we can start to, because what has happened is we have enmeshed that person, that voice, and that message in us as us. And that's why interjects are tricky, is that they sound like us. They sound like us. They do things like us. They're very convincing, being us. But they're not. They're a part of us that we are trying to outgrow or need to now outgrow. And that's why there's that rub is because we're, there's tension around feeling like it might no longer fit. So um, what does this have to do with yoga? Well, we have positive introjects and sort of less positive introjects. For example, the concept of like an inner mother or an inner father or the way we internalize our teachers those can be, or spiritual leaders, those can be extremely valuable. Like for those of you who are teachers, have you ever had a student say, oh, I, I, I hear you in my head when I'm practicing. I hear you in my head when I'm practicing. Or I wish I could, I used to have, sometimes I would have students, this was when I was a little bit younger, but they would say, and I'm, you know, I'm short. But they would say, I wish I could just, you were just like a little action figure I could put, you could live in my pocket. And, you know, or I'll hear, I hear you in my head when I'm practicing. And this is lovely and it's sweet. And I know that eventually I need to disappear at a certain degree and their voice needs to come forward. And this can also be very true for those of you who are coaches or therapists. Um, and I know for myself, like my therapist, a lot of times I'll say to myself, okay, wh what would she be telling me right now? If I was on her couch having this dialogue, what would she be telling me? Or let's say we interjected a, a teacher from school or something. Even like, you know, my grandmother who passed in 2013, I hear her in my mind a lot. It's like a very healthy, um, supportive way I have in, uh, internalized her. So with the healthy form of the interject, you could think of it more like a healthy form of internalizing the person to help sort of guide you like a like an inner guide. It's a part of you, it's as you, but it's linked to somebody or something else too, like almost like an internalization of a kind of guru, if you will. Where it gets unhealthy is if we are, um, if it starts making demands on us or feeling like we can't really be ourselves or we um, are like stuck in a rut because of it, it has kind of turned a little bit unhealthy. When I first started um, really, really deepening and, and facilitating my own um, home practice many years ago, I heard my, I would say these three different teachers, sort of in oscillation, I had internalized them to such a degree, I heard them constantly when I'd be practicing on my own. It was like, I, it was like they were teaching me from inside myself how to do the poses at home. Now I don't hear them so much. I sometimes hear them, but I don't always hear them. I more so hear myself, and I more so hear, I also more so hear a self that is less critical and more, and like you're supposed to do it this way, and more like, 
hmm, curious, interesting. I wonder what would happen if I did this. So I, I'd like to think I hear more of my spirit. I hear more a soul and a spirit coming through versus this externalized voice that has then become me. So that's been a really cool thing to watch over the, especially the past maybe five years, really big, a big shift there in my own internal practice. Um, so a lot of times if, if, if we've internalized our teacher and we're on our mat, we're practicing, we're gonna hear them a lot. Similarly, if you're new to teaching yoga and you're, and you're teaching, you're gonna sound a lot like your teacher. See, introjects are partly why, how and why, we mirror and mimic our teachers, which in my uh, frame is not such a bad thing. We also want to then be able to outgrow it. See that mimicking is a, and mirroring is a, is a develop, very important developmental step as far as I'm concerned. So if you find yourself parroting a little bit in, as you're new to teaching, you don't have to, I don't think that's bad. It's not, it's, it's a process. And so we want to start to, um, if that can support your unfolding, then great. Um, I remember in my own teaching, there definitely was a rub where I would be like, why am I teaching that way? That does not sound like something I believe anymore. And I had to look at that so closely and start to peel back the layers and ask, who's really teaching in me, through me, as me? And I started to ask like, oh, that's so-and-so who was my teacher. That's this teacher, that's this one, that's this idea. And the more I started questioning that, the more I was able to like start to channel something that was really deeply, um, I'm gonna use these words, unique and authentic, which have become pervasive and ubiquitous in our yoga world. Everybody wants to be authentic. Well, great, but we learn from each other. So the process of authenticity is also a process of questioning the introjects and moving in this developmental process of moving from introject to individuate itself. So for me, that's part of how authenticity emerges more and more. Uh, other things that relate with the, um, this piece about the introject and, and, and the yoga teaching is like, um, Again, when we're newer on the path to teaching, we're gonna, like I said, hear our, our teachers um, in our heads a lot. But when we're new to yoga, um, especially, yeah, if we're new to yoga, we're gonna we're we're taking in concepts about the yoga world whole from the teacher, the teacher and teachers and studio, and the environment that we're uh, learning. Like, um, you know, now there's a huge wave of of learning and understanding yoga that is not ever without social media involved, not ever, you know, sans imagery, uh, like visual imagery. Many people started practicing yoga before the mirrors and the Instagram and the, and the photos. It would just be like a simple headshot, like, hey, this is my bio. But now you can find pictures of, of your teacher doing poses quite often. It, it's just a, a visually stimulating environment much more, which lends itself to more projections and introjects, which is not inherently bad. Like I don't think yoga is worse off because of it. It's just something that we're now working with in our seat of you know, conceptual work here. So <clears throat> we have a whole 
generation of yoga practitioners and teachers even coming in that don't know a yoga without social media. So the way that we're swallowing ideas about yoga, right? It's a saying of if you've always, if you always do what you've always done, you always get what you've always got. This is the power of the interject is believing like this, this is the, this is the whole thing that this little thing is the whole thing. So let's say you were steeped in one tradition of yoga and then you moved to a new place and they didn't have that style and you started practicing else, your brain's going to explode. Like, whoa, that's yoga too. Or whoa, here's this other thing happening. So a lot of times when we have that experience of like, whoa, you know, that schema or that concept kind of exploding um, and having to build a new framework, our mind gets expanded. Our concepts get expanded. That is that rub of the interject or the challenge of the interject too. It's challenging the schemas that we thought were true. As teachers raising, uh, you know, a generation of, of you know, fellow teachers or students, we want to also be mindful of the interjects that we're passing on. This is yoga. This is how it is. This is what we do here. This is what it means here. To a certain extent, we can't ever not do that. Like, just like as parents, you know, there, there are boundaries. Like, we do have to teach our kids, like, eat your food, drink your water. This is bedtime. Don't walk out in the street. Look both ways before crossing the street. Like, there are rules of engagement that we're trying to teach them. Those are healthy. We also want to be able to tolerate the discomfort of maybe one day they're going to be like, no, this isn't, this isn't how we do things in my house. And so, and I even just had to say something like that to my own mom today. I was like, I, and like, it's so cool if you're doing that in your house, it's like, so okay, but you're here and this is my house and we actually don't do that here. That can be so uncomfortable to have to do that. Same is true in yoga. Like, you're, you've learned from your teachers and then you go off and you start your own studio or you do your own training and you start to feel that discomfort of, I feel like I'm supposed to do it this way because my teacher did it this way, but that doesn't feel right to me. Oh, you know, sort of that pain there um, or that even that anger and resentment that can happen there, grief that can happen there, all different kinds of emotions can arise. This is how we do it here, actually. So some key takeaways with the introject. They're not bad. We're not ever, we're not gonna, our goal is not to eradicate them or not do them. They're naturally occurring phenomena. Like I, I like to say many of the, the, the it, there's inner psychic and intrapsychic phenomena that are occurring that are normal because of the kinds of brains we have in relationship to ourselves and each other. Like we're not ever gonna not project that's not really the goal is to eradicate that. It's to how to use it, you know, wisely. Same thing with the introjects. It's a developmental step. It's a, it's a de or even a developmental tool to understand the world and build schemas and be able to um, operate in the rules of engagement. And another very critical step is being able to tolerate the discomfort that comes with saying, no, that's not me. That's not my voice. This is my voice. And sometimes even the grief of like, sometimes when I'm practicing even, and I don't hear those teachers in my mind, 
and there's a little bit of almost like that emptiness. I'm like, wow. I, I, sometimes I even find myself like searching for their voices. I'm like, where are you? They're there in the way that they need to be. They've, they've, they've assimilated and digested and there's more room for you now. So wherever you are on this developmental kind of scale with the introjects, it's good to kind of know where we are. Are we in the process of taking in the world whole learning or in the process of, um, of, um, being sort of guided by those messages and starting to maybe find a little bit of where that rub might be. Are we in the place where we're actually at the other end and we're like, whoa, these are the introjects I'm passing to my kids or my, you know, generation of students. So kind of where are you on this spectrum? Are you in a rub with a mentor or a teacher? And my hope and my prayer for you is that if you're shooting on yourself, you can say to your, you can say to yourself, whose voice is that? Who is that really? Where did I learn that? When was the first time I learned that? So you can track the origin of this introject and clear it where it needs to be cleared, assimilate it where it needs to be assimilated and become ever more yourself. And also my hope is that for those of you who are raising kids and a generation of practitioners and teachers, if you are in that rub with folks where they're pushing against you, that this teaching on the introject helps you sort of ease that rub just a little bit like, you know what? They're not bad because they're not listening or they're not bad because they're pushing up against you. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing, which is test the limits of your teachings. Mm. <laughs> All right, my friends, thanks again for tuning in and can't wait to hear how this unfolds for you. Off to the rest of our day. Take care.